Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Hi, fellow listeners, and welcome to episode 22 of Can I Pick Your Brain? Today, I'm really excited to be picking the brain of Christy Mims. Christy is the founder and CEO of the Revolutionary Club, which was selected by Forbes as a top 100 website for your career. She's built her community to over 30,000 and has been featured in Forbes, Yahoo, Lifehacker, the US News, among many others. But most importantly, she is helping people live a more epic life. Christy, welcome to the show and thanks for letting me pick your brain. Oh, well, I'm so glad to be here. Happy to be picked, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll find out. I tell you like this, I'm, I'm really looking forward to finding out how you built such a large following. But first, I'd like to get to know more about you. Can you tell us more about your background and what it was like growing up? Oh, sure. So I was born in Switzerland. My parents were in the Foreign Service. and Switzerland? Yes. No way. That's yes. where my father's from. Uh, Lugano? Oh, very cool. I was born in Geneva. No way. <laughs> yes, nice. but little good it did me because the Swiss Deutsch. <laughs> no, the Swiss wanted nothing to do with me and packed me back to America as soon as possible. No so yes, yeah, so I grew up on the East Coast uh, in Virginia, just outside of D.C., and was pretty lost uh, for a long time with what I wanted to do with myself growing up because I just I loved history, but I I just didn't know didn't know what kind of career I wanted or what I wanted to be. I knew <laughs> I didn't want to be a lawyer, which is what most history majors go on to become. Um, uh-huh. That was pretty much it. So I felt pretty lost in my career and I ended up traveling the world a little bit, getting a master's degree and ultimately becoming a consultant, which is what you do when you are, uh, when you have lost. a liberal, when you're lost with a liberal arts degree. Right. And, you know, I meant to only do it for one year and eight years later, I was still there and I was pretty miserable. Washington, D.C. is a wonderful city, but it is not for me. And I just, you know, I just kept thinking like I, I need to just suck it up. I have a great job. I have a great life. You know, I make a lot of money. I have this amazing title. I, you know, I'm responsible for millions of dollars and pretty serious work. And I felt terrible and for wanting something else. But I just I stopped sleeping. I became really strange. I <laughs> got into some bad habits like binge watching The Real Housewives of anything. And, you know, eventually I thought I just I can't wake up when I'm 50 and have this be my life. Like I have to at least try to do something else. So I went on a little bit of a career safari. I started doing informational interviews and talking to people and trying new things. I started a blog. I did a bunch of stuff. And ultimately I found career coaching, which is something I've always been interested in helping people with their careers and putting it together with coaching, which is really about making um, pretty deep life transformations felt really right to me. So I ended up getting certified as a coach. I became a professional coach. And then ultimately, I quit my job and hung out my shingle. And here we are four years later, and it feels amazing. So that was, I hope that was what you wanted to hear. That's well, sort of I, I, no, that, that's wonderful. But I want to backtrack to Switzerland for a second. <laughs> of course. Okay. Well, first of all, why why did they want to get rid of you? <laughs> ah, Because my parents were in the Foreign Service. So they don't want you to become a Swiss citizen. Uh, and mm-hmm. at the time, actually, your father had to be Swiss for you to be Swiss, not even your mother. Yeah. So right. apparently I was born and within seconds, my dad was dispatched from the hospital to get my birth certificate um, in order uh, to clearly <laughs> mark me as an American. So, yeah, oh but I, that doesn't stop me from loving chocolate and cheese. 
So oh yeah, yeah, you gotta love the chocolate and the cheese. Oh my goodness. And the other thing you you mentioned there was that you wanted you would you didn't know what you wanted to be, but a lawyer. Like you definitely didn't want to be a lawyer. Was your dad a lawyer? No, no, no one I know is a lawyer, or no, no one I knew then was a lawyer. It just okay. I it just I had no interest at all. You know, it's I lawyers are great. Yay for people who love the law, but it just wasn't me. <laughs> you don't like the law? No, I mean, I mean, you know, I try to stay on the right side of the law, but I'm definitely not someone who's. I'm more of a rule breaker than a rule follower. <laughs> so I, I can relate. I can relate to that. Yeah, I mean, I think anyone who becomes an entrepreneur ultimately is a little bit more of a rule breaker, and so like I, the law is not for me, and I don't want to work. You know, working a ton of hours in corporate America is never for me, right? So right. yeah. What did your parents? What did your parents do for work? Well, actually, so my dad left the Foreign Service and became a pilot for Delta. And my nice. mom, <laughs> yeah, and my mom is a pediatric nurse. Also, I read somewhere you said that when you were a little girl, you wanted to be an iron, like to do dry cleaning. To do dry cleaning. Or was that a that was a joke? That was a picture of you as a little kid, and you were you were doing some ironing, like <gasps> that's actually toil- that was actually my niece. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Who said that was you? No, no, no. It was a it was an example of what not to be when you grow up, I think. But yeah, no, that was that was a fun picture. I, my nieces are so cute. I like to sometimes share pictures because they're so cute. Anyway. Right. Also, your Skype name is quite interesting, Cheeky Christy. Yeah. Right. What, what do you think? What do you think makes you cheeky? Oh, so many things. Uh, my my time in England gave me some great great additional vocabulary, but I don't take myself very seriously. And if anyone spends some time on my website, they'll see that even though I'm I take people's careers very seriously, like I think there's a lot of humor and fun to be had in your career, and it's such a stressful thing for so many of us, we forget that. Um, right. So yeah, so Cheeky Christy is my Skype handle. It's the one thing I never changed. <laughs> It's like, you know what my wife's email is? I don't know if I should give this out in public, but whatever. It's Lolo the Schizo at Hotmail. <laughs> wow. I, I, just recently, she, 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 she's, she's a mom of three, so we have three little ones. So she's quite busy with that, but she recently went to, to apply to start doing real estate. And I said to her, Lauren, really, honestly, you need to change that email because the last thing you want to be doing is going, yeah, my email is Lolo the Schizo at Hotmail. Well, first of all, kudos to her for having a Hotmail address. I still have a Yahoo address. <laughs> so right. <laughs> I, I just, I appreciate that. <laughs> Great. You're talking about um, careers, but your own career, you had a really extensive work history from dealing blackjack to dealing in U.S. patents. I mean, what would you say were your worst jobs? And in contrast, what were your most satisfying? Oh, well, my worst job was U.S. patents because, okay. um, you know, I was working for a law firm. Of course, I ended up working for a law firm, right, for a brief period of time. And Go figure. And not, I mean, you have to be super detail-oriented, but with patents, you even have to be a whole other level of detail-oriented and, like, the tediousness <laughs> of that job is something that, you know, I'm creative. I like to, like, be in the moment. I like to do things on the fly. I mean, frankly, I was on a really good day. I was below average at that job. <laughs> <laughs> and on like a normal day, I was pretty bad at it. And I felt right. so bad for my boss. He was such a nice guy. And he thought, you know, I'm hiring this bright young college student from a good college. Like, what could go wrong? <laughs> mm-hmm. <What could> go? <laughs> so, I'm guessing that the blackjack dealing was probably more up your alley. Yes, it was really fun. Though I actually was only like, I'm, I really love cards and I'm a card shark and I like playing cards. But every now and again, I space out and I forget to do the math. <laughs> So oh, every now and again, I'd be dealing the blackjack and I'd be like, wait, quick math, quick math. What is this? Right. <laughs> so I hate math. Yeah. Don't worry. I, I'm on the same boat. It was not like, so I was most, mostly good, but every now and again, just like spaced out completely. But it was fun. 
So in between those, because what what other jobs did you did you get involved in? Let's see. I worked at NATO for a period of time. Okay, we're gonna get to that because um, that's interesting. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I was, uh, let's say I worked for a small business doing facilitation for a period of time before the consulting stuff started. Man, I like I've done, I was a camp counselor. I was a teacher at a private school in England for a while. You know, I've done almost everything. So U.S. patents was your, you said your worst Oh, and I bartended around the world for a period, but go ahead. Hold on. Whoa. Okay. (laughs) How many countries? Uh, Actually, really only three. So that's (laughs) around the world. It's not as as good as a story as I just made it out to be. But yeah. Right, right. But yeah. Okay. We'll we'll do it. Very cool. So when you were 25, going back to NATO, because this is very interesting. When you were 25, you applied for a job with NATO and you really wanted that job, but you were very nervous and you didn't think you were going to get the job. And then at a critical point, something changed during the interview where your body shifted positions and that created a confidence that was a game changer. Can you take us back to that moment and describe what happened and what you learned from it? Well, I was basically trying to talk my way into NATO, right? I just had this master's degree in conflict, international conflict resolution. I did it in Belgium and Brussels. You know, NATO was like exactly the place I thought I wanted to be. And I was talking to this more seasoned gentleman. And <laughs> and I was really, I felt really nervous. As you said, I was sitting there like, oh my God, who am I to be talking my way into NATO? You know, I don't know anything. What am I doing? And then I just, I had this moment of like, just stop it. You're, you made it this far. So like, you might as well go all the way. So start like acting like you deserve to be here. Mm-hmm. Right. Because he, I, I had, he was talking to me like a real person. And I'm like, why am I not acting like a real person? <laughs> So, when you say not acting like a real player, just for those listening, kind of describe what exactly what was going on in terms of it was, body language. It, you know, I was I was not sitting up straight. I was hunched over a little bit. My body language was very contorted, not only contorted, but also submissive or subdued, I would say, you know, kind uh-huh. of like a little bit uncomfortable, anxious. You know, I feel yeah. like I was just giving off this vibe of I shouldn't be here. I don't deserve to be here. But the truth is, of course, I deserve to be there. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I I was smart. I was, you know, interested. I was willing to work hard. I had a great background. You know, I, there, I, I was just like many other people that worked there. So I just finally had to kind of, you know, take my, take my, my doubts and my anxieties because that's all it was in hand and be like, what do you have to lose? <laughs> just mm. like act like a real person because you are. And, you know, maybe this will go great and you'll get the job. And other, but if you keep doing what you're doing, you probably won't, <laughs> you know? So you had that realization, you had that mind shift in that moment. And then, and then what happened physically? What happened physically is that I smiled really big. I started to smile and just, and that like, and then I just sat up straight and, Uh you know, like uh, women, if you follow Amy Cuddy in power poses, women in particular, we're, we're very bad at being in low power poses because we're taught to cross our legs and kind of be ladylike. Uh But if you, people who see you taking up space and see you kind of sitting up straighter and, you know, putting your arms out and like men traditionally do a little bit more easily, Uh uh, they often respect you more or they see you as more powerful and more confident. So and I didn't know of Amy Cuddy at this time, but I What's her name? Amy Sorry, Amy Amy Cuddy, C U D D Y. She does an amazing TED Talk. Just Google her name and the TED Talk comes up. Okay. Well worth watching. But I I just sort of sat up straight and kind of took up more space. I uncrossed my legs, you know, and I started to just smile and be like, you know what, I deserve to be here. So right. why not? And that basically drew in com- natural confidence, which ended up I did that. You end, you ended up winning the, the the role. You ended up getting the job. Yeah, yeah. It was a fellowship position, and yeah, I definitely I sort of talked my way into it. And I, I do credit like that moment of just 
saying, you know, I deserve to be here just as much as anyone else. And let me at least show that, but to helping me for sure get invited in. (laughs) That's very cool. You once said the following about getting a promotion. You said that it's not who you know, and it's not what you do. It's who knows what you do. Mm -hmm. You talked about having a visibility plan that works. Can you explain more about what that is? Yeah, I mean, this is a mistake. I think, again, I'm going to say women make a lot, but everyone makes a lot. You think sometimes we're taught that if you just do good work, we'll recognize you. And in perfect companies with great managers, that's probably true. But 95% of companies are imperfect and so managers because we're human. Mm -hmm. So you need to not only do good work, but you need to also think about you publicizing that good work in a way so that when people have those promotion conversations, which often happen, you know, in a room where you're not there, <laughs> right. are, are they talking about you and are, do they know about your good work? Have, have they been made aware? Mm. So, so I, you know, it's not just, you know, landing a contract or doing a great job on the report. It's stopping by your boss's office and saying, you know, I'm just so excited we won. Or I'm, you know, I like, let me know what you think of that report because I added this, this, and this, and I really want to make sure you love it, you know, and just, just kind of calling attention to some of the work that you're doing in a way that feels natural to you, but you can't rely on other people to know what you're up to. We're all pretty self-interested and we're all busy. Mm. So you got to do a little bit of self-promotion to make sure that what you're doing is recognized. So when it's time to hand out bonuses and raises and promotions, you are in that conversation. Right. How would you, a lot of people listening to this, not looking to get a promotion necessarily, a lot of them are looking to grow their business or some of them are starting a business. How would you apply that to an entrepreneur trying to get more exposure? I love this. So I think, I thought about this a lot. I love business. I think (laughs) the number one most important thing an entrepreneur can do is figure out their platform. And what I mean by that is there's a sweet spot where your audience is already hanging out or your customers or your clients are hanging out. Mm-hmm. in a place that you actually also like to hang out. So for example, when I, and your platform can be anything. My platform for a long time was LinkedIn because I am a career coach. So a lot of people thinking about careers are already on LinkedIn and I love to write. So when LinkedIn let me have their blogging feature a little bit early, I had access to this huge audience. So I love to write any, you know, I would do that anyway. And I was able to reach the right people because that platform was right for me. I know other mm-hmm. people have made platforms out of Instagram or YouTube or just their own word of mouth connections, partnerships. Your platform can be anything. But I think when you think about kind of socializing yourself and putting the word out there, it's figuring out how do you best like to talk about what you do and share your knowledge. And based on that, where are the people hanging out in a place where you can do that, a third party place? And once you figure that out as an entrepreneur, you save so much time because you don't need to waste your time on platforms that aren't really going to work for you or doing things that you think that you should. Everyone tells you, oh my God, you need Facebook and LinkedIn and all sorts of stuff, right? In order to be successful, you need to be on 18 social media channels, but you don't. And in fact, I think that's a waste of time because there's no way you can do it well, especially in the beginning when you're growing your business and you don't have a team of people. You just need to pick the thing that really works for you and dominate it. And if you do that, I mean, it's like the 80-20 rule in action, right? You're just, you're just, your business is going to grow there. You're going to feel better about it because you enjoy it and you're going to get clients and customers. So everyone wins. So, okay, let's just break it down for a second. So somebody is, is going to pick a, a platform that they believe that their audience is hanging out. Once they found that platform, what do they need to do? Because we all know the people who come on Twitter and they spam the hell out of what they're doing. We're like, get lost. I don't want to hear about your freaking shoe business. If I hear about it one more time, I'm going to spam, put you in spam. How do you stand out? How do you 
get people to really like what you're saying. And, and ultimately, we're not there to chill. We're there to sell. Like if I want to chill, I'll go with my wife out to, to a nice restaurant or go hang out with my kids. I'm not there to chill with people on Facebook. How do you sell without selling? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, no. So I think this is why you need to just pick one platform because then you treat it like conversation. You can post, if we're talking, let's say Twitter is your platform, you can post interesting articles. You can get on there and start asking questions of people and retweeting and sharing people that you're interested in. You can post your own articles or some interesting insights or funny memes or things that relate to what you're trying to build or do. And then ultimately, you can also start posting some of the stuff that you're marketing, right? But I think Mm -hmm. selling is always a conversation and first people have to get to know you. So you use the platform to let them get to know you a little bit. With LinkedIn and my blogs, you know, I was able to write these really like relevant and interesting blogs related to a problem that people are having in their careers. And so they could read the blog and get to know me and then decide if they wanted to come back to my website and see some of my um, products and my services. Right. Right. But, you know, you can do it in so many different ways. I think it's just if you pick one and maybe it's your local network, maybe it's your local B&I group or your you know, your word of mouth in your town, then you can just start having coffee with people and talking to them and building those relationships and periodically updating them as to your services and what you're doing or what you're excited about. And it becomes natural and it's less of a selling conversation and more of just a conversation where periodically you sell things. Right. And can you explain what the Revolutionary Club is and why you started it? So the Revolutionary Club is a career coaching service for and community. It's really it's grown to be this big community for anyone who wants more passion and more joy and more excitement and more meaning in their career. I am over the idea that you have to you have to work to live, that work is something you do and your life is something else. I think for most of us in Europe and America especially, we've reached a stage where we have a lot we have a lot of choices. The internet has made the world our oyster and there's no reason to stay in a job you don't love. There's so much freedom these days with what you can do. So it's a community for people to connect with each other and with me and get career advice and help. Because when you love what you do, your life changes. And I think everyone deserves that. You know, it's interesting you say that because you talk about opportunities to be able to do whatever you want. But ultimately, we're living in a time where actually just coming off a recession and potentially going I don't know. I don't believe all this nonsense about going back into recession. It's all a mindset to me, but whatever. The point of the matter is, is that there aren't there are not many jobs out there. People are struggling. People are fighting over trying to get a good job. So. How, how do you advise people in today's world to, to, to do something they love doing? Ultimately, they need to put food on the table. Yes, there is a process to this. So let me talk about the first thing first, which is the economy has changed. And I think, you know, we talk about this a lot. What our parents had is not what we have or we will have in the future. There's more job sharing. There's a much more freelancing but with that become there's a lot of freedom there because the internet has created industries and jobs that didn't exist two years ago, three years ago, right? Like Airbnb, Uber, all of these companies and who knows what's coming next. None of this existed. Being a digital marketing specialist is a career that didn't exist 10 years ago. Right. And so I think that while some of the traditional jobs are going away, if you have a computer and you have an Internet connection, there's a lot of jobs out there that don't even require standard education. They just require experience, (laughs) (laughs) which you can get online. And there's a lot of there's a lot more freedom with Etsy and with Amazon, and with eBay to even start a business in a non-traditional way and share what you have with more of the world. Right. Like if you love to craft or do something, you have a hobby that you think might become a passion 20 years ago you would have had to go to career fairs, but now you can get a shop on Etsy, you know? Mm, And so I think there's, while some of the traditional jobs that we associate have changed, I think there's whole other solar power, wind power, there's like whole other industries that are starting, but you have to be more agile, more flexible than you 
to be. You have to be a little bit more proactive and you can't, you can't stay in a job, one job for 30 years. I don't think that's a good safety net. Companies don't provide pensions anymore. They don't provide safety. You have to provide your own safety net. And the way that you do that is you keep your skills sharp. You learn all the time and you keep your network strong. And if you do those three things, it's so much easier to find a job. But I think there's a lot of room for innovation for starting either a side business or a full company on your own these days that we didn't have 15, 20 years ago because of the ease of websites and uh, internet commerce. Hmm. What advice would you give to those listening who wake up on a Monday morning and they would rather curl up and die than to go to work? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I would say I've so been there. (laughs) First of all, so you're not alone. So one of the things that I think, and this goes back to your your previous question, like what if you have to feed your family? You know, what if you can't quit your job? So first of all, I argue that a lot of times we dismiss opportunities out of hand because we're not willing to take a hard look at our finances or our lifestyles. And so I think there's some work to be done. Almost everyone, not everyone, but almost everyone can take a harder look at how they're living and what the job is costing them and make some trade-offs in terms of their budget and their lifestyle to allow for more flexibility. However, I do know you you do have to eat. (laughs) There's still money involved. So for some people, I'd argue that there's a job between, there's at least one, if not several jobs between what you might consider your dream job and where you are now. And I call that a triage job. And so if you wake up on Monday morning and you're hating your job, figure out like what's preventing you from finding a job that you love. Is it you have no idea where to begin? Is it you have no time? Is it your commute? Is it like you just hate your boss and you actually don't mind your work? And if you could just find a better company, like what is it? Figure right. out some of what you need to get on the path and then try to find a job that's going to give you that flexibility. So if you need more time and your commute's killing you, find a job that's closer to home, Right. So you can reallocate that time to figuring out your passion. You know, if you need a different boss, see if you can change roles or teams or jobs, you know, within your company or somewhere else, like figure out what it is that you need and get that triage job. That's the first step. And then you can start honing in and, okay, what what do I really want to do? Because now you've created either space or money or flexibility or whatever it was that was holding you back. You've created space for that. So you can find, you can spend more time there. So that that was a long answer, but if you hate your job, just figure out what you hate the most and then figure out how to yeah. get rid of it. <laughs> Would be the short answer. I think it's a great I think it's a great answer. On the 19th of February 2014, you woke up to find out that you were featured on US News and Yahoo Finance. Can you go back to that morning and share with us what it was like for you? Oh, it was awesome. <laughs> well, first of all, imagine. I was like, "Wait a second." <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, holy crap. This is awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's like you, I guess as an entrepreneur, a lot of times you toil in the shadows or Uh you, um, you work on stuff and you put your heart and soul in it and then crickets, (laughs) you know, you feel like you're, yeah, you're like talking to no one. And every, (laughs) every now and again, like you get that reminder of like, whoa, people are listening. And they may not hear everything you say, but every now and again, they hear something and it just, it feels like such vindication of like, no, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like this, you know, my message is getting out there. It's an important message. So it feels did you great. Have a fear, did you have a fear at the same time of, oh my God, like what, what next? Like now, what do I do? Like, okay, I, I got featured on US News and you have finance. Like, how do I get, how do I top this? Like, how do I do more? Like, did you, did you find that or not really? I think I was so like wait a second, what just happened? (laughs) Um, Yeah. And then there was, I had a period where I'm like, okay, well, obviously I need to now get featured on a bunch more places, right? How do I do that? 
And I almost hired a publicist and kind of went that route to think about like, okay, how do I get on Oprah? Oh, yeah. (laughs) But then I realized I kind of sat myself down and I, I realized like that's actually that's less important to me than just you know, reaching more, helping more people in my community and kind of growing my community. Like the, I don't need the credentials. I don't need the acknowledgement. I just want to, you know, I just want to reach the people that need the help. Yeah, I really like that. I really like that you said that because I feel like a lot of times the big wins are not the most satisfying. Ultimately, when we dig, when we dig down deep as an entrepreneur and as a human being, I give an example. I've done how many, this is my 22nd episode, which not many. But I could tell you like this, and I'm definitely not going to mention any names here, but like I've interviewed people who were big. I'm saying like, I've got to be careful what I say here, but... Oh, now I'm so curious. <laughs> I got more out of the people who were not famous, who are not, who are not big time. And I didn't get that much out of them. Like I felt like they were just so big and so up there that, that I couldn't really relate as much and I couldn't get as much from it. Whereas people who are starting out or people who are not as, you know, famous or, you know, celebrity sort of status, they, they, they're more real sometimes. They're the people who you kind of, you, you go, wow. And I, I give another example. It's the same thing with, I can, you can give a big speech in front of thousands of people and it could be such an amazing buildup and wow, I spoke in front of thousands of people. Look, look what I've achieved. And but ultimately, it could be just one client, one person who you give advice to, who just sends you this heartfelt letter that says, you know, you've really changed my life. Yes. And that's what, that's what it's all about. Yes, I so agree with you. I found myself a couple months ago getting too big for my britches when I was talking to someone. <laughs> and I realized in that moment, because she was like, oh, you know, she just asked me for something. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm just, so, I'm so busy. And then I was like, man, I sound like such an asshole. Or excuse me, I sound, <laughs> I sound just like a jerk. And I, you know, and I agree with you because I, I find that the people, that heartfelt email, and I, I feel lucky that sometimes people in my community give me that feedback of, you know, thank you. And here's how you changed my life or here's how this helped me. And, you know, I couldn't have done it without you. And it just, it's, so great. And I just that that experience a couple of months ago, I was just I said, you know, like, oh, my gosh, you can't be this person. You know, right. who are you? You're you know, you're just you're just like anyone else. So just, you know, do what you do and don't don't become this person. Be focused on the work. And that is such a reward. And so, yeah, <laughs> That's I agree so funny. Actually, that, that reminds me of um, a conversation I had with this a lady in California when I was living in Los Angeles. I, I went to I, I got introduced to this lady who I didn't know who she was. She was just a regular member of the community. It was like a Jewish community that I belonged to. And we went for a Sabbath meal to her house. And I got into a conversation with her about how I want to write a, a best-selling book and I want to be, you know, a public speaker and all these big dreams that I, that, I, that I have. And, you know, she sat me down and she said to me, Daniel, I want to tell you something. Not many people know this about me because I used a different name. Um, and this is a past life that I, that I lived. But I was a famous author. I was a, I wrote multiple best-selling books on relationships and I was, I was on the Oprah show. Um, I was featured in all the big media, you know, all the media platforms and you name it, I was there. And one day I was going to give a speech and it was at some big event somewhere. And someone who obviously didn't recognize me, didn't know who I was, just like randomly like was walking by and said, excuse me, do you know where the bathroom is? Like something like that. And she turned around. And she said, do you know who I am? And she said, at that moment, I shook. 
my, my, physically, my body shook. Like, who the hell am I to talk like that to another human being? And I walked away and I canceled the show and I left that career because I realized that it was getting to my head too much. And I'll never forget that. It was, it was such a huge, powerful lesson from someone that, and it doesn't mean that we can't achieve. Like, for me, I still, I still want to be a best-selling author and I'd love to give great speeches, but I just don't want to ever forget that message. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm so with you. I'm so with you. I, yeah, I aspire to many things, but you're, you're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, another thing I wanted to ask you is a lot of people become, like, they get overloaded with things to do and to-do lists, and they find it hard to switch off and, like, just reconnect to the important things in life. What's your advice on creating a healthier work-life balance? Taking a walk. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. That's it. Take a yeah, no, it's, it's so simple, but it works. <laughs> <laughs> take a walk. yeah like you just i i get really stressed like right now i'm in the middle of a big launch right so yeah, i'm stressed i'm worried about what's going on with my shopping cart and are people getting the information that they need and is everything working and yeah. but every day i always after lunch i take a walk and i just like smell some flowers and i look at some stuff and it just it relaxes me and i feel like it keeps me a little bit grounded and it's a good reminder that there's so much else happening out there in the world right. and and i come back and i usually feel refreshed and and excited to get back into it so yeah i say take a walk amazing what is resolution rehab oh, so how did you find that oh i, I... I know where to dig. Oh my gosh. That is a very old program and it's a it's a I used it in a blog as, as an example of a failure. Mm-hmm. Because I got together with a friend of mine who's she's an amazing health coach. She's brilliant. And we decided we were going to do this whole like thing together for women who wanted to reset their goals in the new year and kind of reset their health and reset their careers. But we we just wanted to do it because we wanted to work together. <laughs> Right. More so than it was really right for either of our businesses or our clients. So I, you know, I talk about it as well. Like I, I had a period in my business where I had all of these ideas and I tried to do all of them. And that's not, to me, that's not a recipe of success. Like figure out the thing you do really well and then just do that for a while before you start adding a bunch of other stuff to it. Right. And so that, yeah, Resolution Rehab was a, it, we started to launch it and then we killed it almost right away. It was not, I guess, I don't think of it as a failure more so as like a really good lesson and what not to do. <laughs> I'm glad that I brought it up now because the truth is people listen to, to podcasts and they think, oh, these guys, they just built businesses and 30,000 followers and blah, blah, blah. And it's really refreshing when you hear someone say, actually, do you know what? I did something and I had to pull the plug because it was an epic fail. Oh my God. I've done that. Several, yeah. I've done that so many times. We could be here for like hours. <laughs> so for anyone listening about you know their business, I mean, you're, you're going to fail and it's going to be, hopefully you'll fail spectacularly fast so you can right. move on to the next thing. But all of us, everyone you look at who has followers, who has programs, we've all launched stuff that has not worked. Right. And I'm glad you also brought out the fact that you pulled it early because a lot of people make the mistake where they get emotionally attached to what they're doing and they just hang on and hang on and hang on. And sometimes you just got to be ruthless and just say, no, this isn't working. Yeah. Let's cut it on. And I've even pulled successful programs. I've killed successful programs too because it's not working in the way that I wanted it to work or it's not working for my business. And, you know, it's so like I've, I've killed both types of programs. Right. Now you've built a community of over 30,000 fans and I'm sure... Our listeners are thinking, well, how did she get that? I want to tap in now and just say, 
Can you take us through the process in terms of how you got your first 1,000? Oh, this is a great question, and I'm going to have to think back. You know what I did first was once I got my, you know, my system set up so I could get email addresses, and at the time, I think I was on MailChimp. I'm on Entreport now. I'm just sharing that for anyone who's interested. I started pitching myself to do webinars for platforms that fit me. So, for example, career websites and like women's networking websites right? At the time, I only coached women. That's no longer the case. But so I looked at like career realism and other other websites and I started to build relationships and I just cold pitched some sites like the Daily Muse. I reached out to them completely cold and I was their first ever webinar actually. Wow. Yeah. And I, you know, I had some networking groups that I knew about that had online presence. And so I just, I started to do that. And every time I did a webinar, I offered like a free worksheet or something. I also went to my alumni network and did webinars there. I offered like a free worksheet and I invited them to come and join my community. So that was the first thing that I did. And I also created, you know, as, as everyone does, I created, um, you know, a free giveaway. So if you signed up yeah. to my list, you could do that. And the, the third thing that I did to get the first thousand is I started guest blogging on small sites. So I, you know, picked some other career coaches who looked like they had a little bit of a bigger following, but not necessarily a huge, you know, they weren't light years ahead of me. And right. I just started to pitch them ideas and have them write for me for a period. I don't do guest posts anymore. I write everything on my site. But, you know, that helped too to get the name out and start to, that's how I ended up in Forbes the first time was I had, I wrote a post for a blogger and it was the most popular post and wow. she had a connection with Forbes and she posted it there. You know what I love about that story is that it just goes to show that you can literally just do the smallest little thing and that could end up blowing up into this big being featured on Forbes. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was like I tried a couple different things for sure. But I also if I go back to when we talked about our, the platform earlier at the time, I, I mean, I've always liked to write. So that was why I did guest posts. And I used to really like to speak. I don't speak as much anymore because I'm busy doing other things. But, you know, I really enjoyed that. So I, you know, I used I tried to figure out what I'm good at, what I like and put it out there. How long did it take to get to the first thousand? Oh, this is a really great question because I haven't thought about this in a while. It took me a long time to figure out I needed to collect emails. <laughs> so <laughs> so okay. from that point, when I first started collecting emails, I want to say probably like six to eight months. I'll need to think about that a little bit more, but it was less that's than a year. That's pretty good, though. I mean, if that's less than a year to get to a, your first thousand, that's pretty good. Yeah, and I was clueless, by the way. Like, I was just like throwing spaghetti against a wall. Like, I look back and I laugh at my, you know, my innocence back in the day. But um, right. but. Yeah, I was just I was really kind of unfocused in what I was doing. So I think if you were really focused on your platform much earlier, you could do it much faster than I did. Was there a pivotal point where you went from, let's say, I don't know, 5,000 to suddenly double to 10,000? Was there something, was it Forbes, for example, the feature that? Ironically, the Forbes feature didn't drive a lot of traffic to me. It's a great, you know, it's, it was such great recognition and it was like so flattering, but it didn't, it didn't do that. What it was, was, um, it was LinkedIn. Start, my, my website really blew up when LinkedIn started to let me blog for them. Like on Pulse? On Pulse. Yeah. I started to write for them. An editor reached out to me from LinkedIn and said, your content's great. We'd like to feature you more. And, wow. and yeah. And, and the other thing that I did too at the time was I started to do bigger launches of products. So I started to do JV partnerships with other coaches. So they, you know, they would drive traffic to my, to my, to my website and to my products. And so those two things really increased my list quite a bit. Now, what's interesting, and I just want to sort of, sort of pick this out and share it with the audience here. I interviewed Sramana Mitra in episode, it was episode 17. I think it was episode 17. She was ranked 
LinkedIn's number 10 top influencer in the world. So Richard Branson is number two, Bill Gates is number one, and she was ranked number 10. Wow. Which is huge. And I interviewed her. And one of the things she talked about was how she also was an early adopter when when LinkedIn first came out with their blogging platform, Pulse, she, she sort of started writing and ultimately she became uh, invited to their, you know, privately, you know, pri- they send out an invitation and, and you become an influencer, which is now very hard to get in. Yeah. I'll tell you why I'm mentioning this, because you mentioned also that you got in early, is that for people listening to this saying, oh, okay, but she got lucky. She got in there early. So we can't do that. Like if I start blogging, if I start blogging on LinkedIn now, like I'm only going to get maybe 100, 200 views, or whatever. I'm never going to be an influencer. I just want to say that every sing- we're living in, a, in an age where right now you've got Snapchat that's literally just blowing up. Like people are, it's still early days. You've got other platforms that are, that are constantly rolling out, like Facebook's coming out with live uh, video. You've just got to find that, that one thing that's coming out now and ride that wave. Because in a year from now, two years from now, you're going to look back and go, I was an early adopter. And, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was going to add to every year, my platform has changed. Right. Right. Because every year, like in technology and everything changes so much. You know, in the beginning, it was webinars and then some other stuff. And then it was LinkedIn. But LinkedIn, you know, it's so many people publish. It is hard. As you said, it's hard to it's hard to get the same eyeballs that you used to get. And so you always have to be like you're always going to be changing anyway. So why not do it? <laughs> you know, why not, why not go after it? And Christy, your latest adventure now is the networking masterclass, which yes. is apparently it's now open for enrollment. And can you share with our listeners what it is and how they can get a piece of the action? Oh, yes. We opened for enrollment this morning. Yay! Woo-hoo! I know. This is so timely. So one of the things <laughs> I realized doing, you know, doing this coaching for years, I spent so many years focused just on helping people find their passion. But the number one most important career skill out there is actually learning how to network because when you find like part of the process when I take people on to find their passion is you get out there and you talk to people, you get information about different career fields, you try things on. So you, to do that, you have to know people. And when you change careers or you change jobs, you need to know people because you need to know about what companies are hiring and what the salary information is and what you need to do to land the interview. And all of this comes from your network. And if you're starting a business, you need to, you know, get mentors and you need to work your contacts and build, you know, customer base. And a lot of that comes from your network. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the thing, like I kept thinking about it and people kept asking me for this help. And I thought, this is like, this is a skill we should all be taught from birth because it's something we're wired to do. We're human. We as a human society have been networking since the dawn of time because that's how we stay safe. That's how we survive is by sharing information and supporting each other. But a lot of us, we view it as like this gross thing that we have to do in hotel ballrooms at like five o'clock and it's super awkward and sweaty. Oh, I hate those things. Yeah. But, but that's your name. Yeah. But that's, I mean, that's not, that's not networking. Networking is just connecting with people and building, having conversations and building relationships. Right. And so I just, I thought like, you know, I just, I love to network. I love to break down the skills of this. How, if I could give any gift to my community, to anyone, it would be to help them become a better networker because truly, and I say this like with all sincerity, there is no career safety net anymore for any of us. The career safety net that you have is not your company. It is your network. So it, your network's not always going to be able to help you get your dream job. But if you get laid off or if your business tanks or something happens and you have a strong network, you can be employed in a week. Right. And I, 
Yeah, and just to add to that, Christy, as well, is even if you're not in the career space, but you're an entrepreneur and you've got a business, again, your network is going to be an asset that you can always rely on. Even if, like you just said, if your business goes bust, you can start another business and boom, from day one, you've got a network of people that you can that you can sell to and, and, and or you need you need a part time job while your business gets off the ground or you want to take right. a break for your business and get some health care for a while or whatever right. it is, your network is your safety net. And so like I'm so passionate about this because it, it done correctly it can be not only it can not only change your career permanently because it's a skill that you're gonna use throughout your life. Why? Because we like to work with people that we like. You know, we like to work with people that we know. It's such such an important thing. But it also it can also be fun. It can be motivating and inspiring when you feel really stuck about in your business. Sometimes you can feel really stuck over a problem. And if you talk to someone in your network, it can just inspire you and get you unstuck and give you that information that you need. And in your career, when you feel stuck, you know, talking to your network can have the same impact. So it's so powerful. And so the networking masterclass, like with any of the things that I do, it's got lifetime access. And I take, I break down networking. One of the things that I do pretty well is I take things that are hard and make them simple. (laughs) So okay. I've broken down networking into every aspect, how to network over email, over social media, on LinkedIn, at live events, how to maintain your network, how to build your confidence, how to network as an introvert. Like I've thought about it from every possible angle, how to network for are your... These gonna be, are these going to be live webinars? Are they going to be... What are they, how is it going to be? It's, In other words, if someone signs up to your networking masterclass today, what are they expected to get? They Well, if they sign up today, they're going to get a lot. If they sign up today, they're going to get immediate access to the program, which is all pre-recorded with worksheets and transcripts so that you can watch it from anywhere in the world at any time. And you'll also get, if you sign up today, you'll get the the zero to passion course as well. So you, if you need help figuring out your passion before you network, you've got that. And I have a networking lab too, for anyone who really wants accountability and they want to be able to ask questions and get an instant network. We've, we've got that for, for folks too, but it's, I've designed it so you don't have to show up to a live webinar. You don't have to worry about being on a specific timeline. It's videos that you can kind of watch all at once. If you want two hours and 40 minutes of content (laughs) or I'm assuming, I'm assuming that there's going to be a private Facebook group as well for uh yes for the networking lab networking yeah okay yeah it's private on facebook i'll be all over it answering anyone who asks me a question there i'll respond what's the price it's 197 197 for the year for lifetime Whoa, lifetime so 197 dollars and that's it you've got it for life yep yep i will like i firmly believe in lifetime access to products and i will continue to add to it there's a ton of content in there already, but based on what happens with the questions I get asked, I'm planning on continuing to add to it over the next few years. That's so, a steal. Yeah. I mean, most people are charging that for, for you know, a couple of months or for a year. And here you're getting it for 197. You're getting it for a lifetime access. That's pretty amazing. By the way, when we say today, today is not today because today we're recording. So it's probably going to be possibly two weeks from now. Will they still have that? I mean, hey, why don't we do this? Is there a special rate for my listeners? <laughs> Oh, See, by the way, yeah. guys, listening, people who are listening, don't don't tell me I don't do things, you know, like <laughs> get get deals for you. Here we go. I'm getting a deal for you. Here. Yeah, you know what? That's a great idea for your listeners. I will send you a link, and so people can go to the show notes. But if they go to the Revolutionary Club, they'll be able to find the RevolutionaryClub dot com. You'll be able to find the networking masterclass, and you can sign up and save fifty dollars. We'll do that. All right, 50 bucks off. Should they put in a code? Do you want to do a code? Uh, yes, they should put in a code and... Should we do um, Can I Pick Your Brain or something like that? Can I Pick Your Brain? Okay, done. 
done. So if you type in, can I pick your brain into the code, the discount code, you get $50 off. Bam. Yes. And you have to apply it though. So make sure you click the box after <laughs> you type it in and you see the discount. Otherwise you won't get it. Amazing. <laughs> Christy, what's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? The best way is just to go to the revolutionaryclub.com and join the community there. There's a million different tools and resources all for free all right, to help you with your career and the community is free as well. So just go there and join. Amazing. And I'm also going to share in the show notes your Twitter handle as well. So if they want to follow you on Twitter, they can do that. Christy, may you keep helping others create an epic life. I mean, thanks. <laughs> Thank you so much for letting me pick your brain. Thank you to all my fellow listeners for tuning in. And I'm looking forward to the day when I'll be picking your brain. You've been listening to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast. Inspiration without perspiration is like a tiger without teeth. So to put these ideas into action, head over to danielgeffen.com.